Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast. On March 8th, the entire world will be celebrating International Women's Day, when women from all countries and cultures are recognised for their achievements. This year, the theme for the day is Inspire Inclusion, which aims to forge a more inclusive world for women. So what is the financial advice sector doing to inspire inclusion and how can we truly forge a more inclusive environment for both female employees and clients? I'm Melina Khan, Senior Reporter for FT Advisor, and I'm joined today by Catherine Waller, co-founder of advice firm Six Degrees, which launched in November last year. Waller has previously held senior positions at RBC and HSBC as well as Yasmina Siadatan, Chief Revenue Officer at Dynamic Planner and is also a previous winner of the TV show The Apprentice. Hello both. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) So um, I'm going to start with, basically, I want to find out about your experiences when you both entered into the industry. Did you feel that it was an inclusive one for women? Have you seen it evolve over the years? And in what ways? I'll start with you, Catherine. So... I actually had the privilege of starting in the industry straight after university. I started at HSBC, as previously referenced. I um, started actually um, as an assistant and really working my way up. Um, and um, at the time, actually, there was a cohort of 10 of us that were taken in and two of us were female. Uh, the other eight uh, were male um, and um, had all of us come from very different backgrounds and uh, different universities um, and, and and worked sort of all the way up from the bottom, really, um, learning the trade, learning skills about um, firstly building portfolios and then latterly into managing clients. Um, I then moved into RBC as uh, an associate director at the time and on to be a managing director. Um, And I had the privilege of working on the leadership team there. So much more strategic probably in thinking than than, um, earlier in my career. The journey I went on um, was interesting with regards to the the variety of different people, the diversity of thought, um, and the way in which different people were thinking about diversity of thought. I think if you go back to 2005, when I started, diversity of thought wasn't a phrase that was really thought about, used as as freely as it is today. And I think it's great that actually we think and really value the difference in men and women, differences across the world, um, to be more inclusive, because it then broadens the different conversations we have with different clients. And the more inclusive we can be and the more listening we actually do by virtue of that. And Yasmina, what was your experience like when you entered into the financial services industry? Um, So I only entered into the industry eight years ago. um, And I I just couldn't believe that that places like this existed, quite frankly. And um, I was really shocked when I first joined the industry. It was like watching um, a movie from the 1980s because I'd come from, um, I worked in different industries, you know, I've had restaurants in hospitality where it makes absolutely no difference if you're a man or a woman. Um, and I um, also worked in advertising, again, um, filled with quite um, a few senior females. Um, and I just I just couldn't believe it, not just on the kind of the gender um, inequality, but also on... Um, you know, the BAME, so black and ethnic minority communities. Um, I just, I was really quite shocked. Um, And um, over the years, um, I absolutely um, echo what you've said, that I think that I have seen um, a kind of flourishing of a welcoming of diversity of thought. Um, 
but unfortunately the stats still remain and the propensity of female financial advisors compared to male, um, it hasn't actually shifted in all of those years and it still remains low. I think it's 16, is it 16% of all financial advisors are female? Um, yeah, and it hasn't moved over the years. Um, so yeah, I think there's still a long way to go. And why do you think that there aren't as many maybe female you know, advisors entering into the industry? Is it to do with the way that the industry is and the culture that's surrounding it? or And how can we, you know, start attracting more women into this industry, Catherine? The industry as a whole isn't very transparent when it comes to knowing what jobs are available in it. I think when I first started looking and when I talk to graduates who are looking it's sort of finance as a whole rather than advice. And by virtue of that, I think it's very difficult to know which bit that you would enjoy and where you would be very good at it. And so when coming in, not knowing knowing your skill set, but not knowing where that's going to be used and how well it can be used can be very difficult. And so I actually think there's probably a starting point on making it more transparent as to the roles that are available within the financial community, being explicit that actually relationship managing advice um, is one that everybody can be good at we all have relationships in different ways across our friendship groups across our families um, and by virtue of that anybody and everybody should be good at it and that confidence that it can give to men and women um, and, and probably more so to women because I think they, they need that confidence I think would be enlightening actually to then land in the right positions to be able to be having these conversations more. Mm. Yasmina? Yeah, I think one of the things that we've um, we've seen across our client bank, so we work with um, between 30 and 40% of um, the financial advice community in the UK. Um, they use our, our tech and we see a whole plethora of different methods to try and attract um talent and grow the business so you can grow in organically and there's so much acquisition happening at the moment but then you can grow organically and a lot of the most of the major networks have got their own academies right and so it's really refreshing to see that happening more and more across the UK and you know the CSI re reaching out to universities and trying to like get coached loads of graduates in a way that when we so you talked about two I graduated in 2004 so yeah. we're of the same era and when we were at uni you know it was it was a completely different world this was like pre-financial crash it was like it was it was kind of heralded to go into finance and then you know 2008 2009 caused a huge dent um in the desire to want in financial services i mean you lived through it right yeah you, you didn't want to necessarily say where, you yeah, worked in worked finance. finance whereas when we were at uni it was like it was the it was the thing to try and go and do to try and go and work in the city and that's all completely changed and i think we need to rebuild that trust um so that young people <clears throat> particularly women um, who who do care more generally about the impact they're having. You know, that's what all the stats say. Um, and so I think um, we have de we've definitely seen, though, um, 
more outreach into universities to try and get people into the profession. And I think that's a really good thing. And from our experience, and it will probably be the same with you, Catherine, is that we see that the females come into the industry as admin um, or para planners. Yeah. Um, and then they, they may have good bosses and good mentors that then say, gosh, you're you're fantastic. You can come and do this and let's get you trained up. Um, but again, it's kind of a happy accident, whereas men will say, right, I want to, you know, I'm going to be really good at building portfolios and I'm going to be really good at helping people with their investments and therefore I want to become a financial advisor. And just lastly, of course, there's that bias with with hiring, right? So, you know, we we do hire people like me um, and then and that's something that we can all work on to, to stamp that out so that men are hiring women as much as they're hiring people like them. I think also imposter syndrome is something that is, is really important to speak about, I think, because... I think naturally men, they, you know, they, they're very sure in themselves. And so when they do go for those interviews, they, you know, they are so confident in what they present. And I feel like with women, we sometimes do have this sense of imposter syndrome and that can sometimes affect the way that maybe we're perceived. And that's not the case at all. Because like you say, everybody can do financial advice, you know, if they're given the correct opportunities to. And I think that's something that this industry is, is you know, as an environment, it's about creating that safe space where, you know, if a woman does enter the into the workforce, she can feel that she doesn't need to have that imposter syndrome, that she is just as much um, able to be here as any other anyone else. Um, and f- for me, I think that's really important. So you referenced Six Degrees as it sort of launched in, in November. And despite that, we are looking at hiring um, our second employee. Uh, our first is a, a female COO. Uh, and when we're having those conversations about um, who to hire and, and how to hire, um, we are very focused on actually individuals' values um, and uh, where those values stem from. Uh, this will come into the client conversation later, I'm sure. But the purpose that they are striving for, what they want a culture to look like, what's important to them from a value perspective actually becomes the primary conversation. And by virtue of opening that conversation up, we are finding we're having more female applicants come in the first sort of wave as such because they want to be exploring and and talking more about their values in culture of a business. Mm. Yeah, and I'm, um, I've just got some stats here that I think um, are quite interesting for this debate. So we um, did a recent survey across all of our client bank and we had about 350 people as financial advisors respond. Um, and just in terms of um, sort of the female advisors versus the kind of the male advisors, I think something that I think is encouraging is that the, um, the results that we got back show that female advisors, um, uh, they want to grow their businesses more than the male advisors and that may be yeah and so they're younger as well so female advisors on average are about 10 years younger than male financial advisors um and that they want to grow their business um more than the males do it may be because they're closer to retirement age of course um but i think i think there is this shift happening where we're seeing more blood being bought into the industry because you know you can't just keep acquiring because the, you know, the acquisition pot will dry up. So how do we you know scale if you're a growing business mm-hmm. working through organic growth? Okay, we need to hire. So you've got all of that happening at the bottom end of the spectrum, and then at the top end, <clears throat> hopefully, finally, we will see this kind of wave of ex insurancemen who set up their financial services businesses back in the '90s slowly start to retire finally. And then um, and then we'll see this kind of hopefully this more evening out of kind of male and female advisors as we get young entrepreneurs like Catherine come through and want to grow their business um, despite 
um, you know, the uh, the perceived perhaps kind of inequality between men and women in the industry. It's interesting because that, that consolidation of the industry at the, the top end probably needs to allow more for that succession coming through mm. um, because what you could then see is rather than all of these businesses being swept up and, and pulled together, actually if you left some of them and you saw the next succession wave coming through to grow those businesses, you might see a more diverse mix of female advisors in there. Yeah, and I, I think that that will play out because um, not all businesses will want to be bought. And, you know, no. a lot of businesses will want to grow and then become really successful in their own right. And there's space in our industry for all of that to happen. There's space for people to be able to sell up, but there's also space for up-and-coming businesses to be really powerful contenders because we all know that there's there's economies of scale in running businesses, but then there's also um, real advantages to being independent and nimble. And actually, we're kind of veering off topic a little bit here, but the FCA stats show that... Um, Unfortunately, product the productivity of a business in our industry in financial advice doesn't actually get any more efficient as the business grows. So there is a problem with consolidation. Um, and of course, technology can fix that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that um, diversity can't be very productive as well. This sort of ties in quite nicely to sort of looking on the client side of things. You know, the stats do show that men... Uh, advisors are struggling to engage with female clients, whether that be the spouses of their of their clients or just female clients in general. There is a lack of engagement, and some might say it may be to do with the fact that many are nearing retirement. Therefore, they don't really want to change their approach because, as you say, you know, it's that new wave of of hopefully new blood coming in that can hopefully start fostering those relationships better. From the client perspective, how? can advisors be they female or male really start to engaging more with women I think it's so important now to be talking about that as so many stats have come out you know in the last few weeks about the state of retirement you know it's going to be costing so much money for someone to have a comfortable retirement and for women unfortunately that's even harder because of of very many factors Um, so how can advisors change their approach when they're trying to engage with female clients whether that be the spouses of of the of current clients or just trying to get in new female clients? I think, so, so Six Degrees is, is predicated on purpose and, and the importance of the purpose of one's wealth. And to go right back, what you have to understand is that wealth isn't created in isolation. Wealth is created by a family, generally, um, no matter what role you play in that family. And therefore, by virtue of that, the conversation about what matters when creating the right strategy and advising on that strategy also has to come back to the combined purpose of that family. We talk a lot about the difference between the right brain and the left brain and and the right brain being more emotive and the left brain typically being your your numbers. And we find that... um, in a couple, uh, you typically have one that thinks more left brain and one that thinks more more right brain. And so therefore, the conversations about the values that underpin the purpose may be the same, uh, the values may be the same, but the conversation evolves very differently from a emotive standpoint versus a numbers standpoint. And if you can engage both parties in that conversation, you get a much more 
cohesive, fruitful strategy out the end of it that is providing for the purpose for everybody. And what I mean by that is you might have someone whose primary purpose is and has always been for independence with money. And you might have someone who actually is, uh, really values education. And the output of that might be exactly the same that they want to provide for their family in perpetuity. But because they're coming from it at such different sides of the coin, actually without that conversation in the middle, the outcome won't be joint mm. and it won't be hearing both sides of the brain and therefore both parties in a relationship. And I think that's hugely important for advisors to consider when having a conversation with whomever it is with regards to wealth, that actually anybody who influences those decisions, be it a sibling, be it a parent, be it a spouse, be it children, should be involved in that conversation. Mm. Yeah, and um, I think from from Dynamic Panel's perspective, um, we've seen um, some really exciting uh, financial planning businesses that thrive from really focusing on attracting female investors and whether that's, you know, the language they use on the website, the name of their business, you know, um, getting out and doing publicity, working in female groups. I've seen, I went to a Tizer conference recently where they um, are funding a kind of promotion of these fun vox pops of like young women up in Birmingham and talking about like um, breaking down the barriers to investment and and there's things that, you know, the governing bodies can do. There are things that individual um, businesses can do. And I think um, I think change is happening. And, and I think the way that um, vulnerability has really reached the top of the agenda um, in the last couple of years and sustainability has reached the top of the agenda in the last couple of years, I think it's all kind of wrapped up in this diversity of investment. Um, and we absolutely find that, you know, um, women, when they answer our sustainability questionnaires and risk profiling questionnaires, they care more about sustainability. They are more risk averse. Um, men are more risky. They care um, less about sustainability. You know, the, these are facts. And it's about um, empowering financial advisors um, via via technology and via um, all of the kind of the way that we can kind of create um um, beautiful conversations with end clients. It's making sure from our perspective that um, every, all of our outputs, because we're B2B to C, so all of the outputs that we provide in our um, software, um, we make sure that they are completely gender neutral at any given moment. And that's actually, you know, an unbiased that you have to put in to software development. It's not mm. something that happens naturally. So um, I think us as software providers and and governing bodies and individual businesses have all got a part to play. And even the, you know, the product providers in the way that they advertise, you know, I saw, I was just on the tube on the way here and I saw an advert for, you know, um, one of these kind of D2C investment platforms and it had um, a woman in a boat um, dreaming about her dream holiday and that she, apparently she could invest her money with this company and that she'd get her holiday. There were the caveats at the bottom of the advert. But, um, you know, I think everybody, even the advertising industry has a part to play. So I think all, and, and, and the FT by providing this podcast, you know, it's not going to happen in, in one particular way, but as a group effort, I think things are changing. I think language is so important. I studied language at university as part of my sociology degree and language holds so much power and it can reinforce societal norms and gender gender norms as well. And sim that advert that you've said, you know, that is, you know, reinforcing certain norms that women maybe only want to invest because they want to have a nice holiday or something <laughs> yeah. like that. You know, it's... You've, I think, as you say, it's a That's joint true. effort. We all need to really be 
quite self-reflective and thinking, what language am I using? How am I using it? How will it be um, accepted or perceived by mm-hmm. women? Because I think that's really important. And, you know, that's how you're probably going to get more women engaged if they feel that they're being heard and listened to. Like you said, mm-hmm. Catherine, it's about having those open conversations and taking into account that, you know, everyone within that family, the wife included, has a part to play in in the wealth that they generate together. And therefore, you need to be having those open, open dialogues. It's really interesting when you talk about brand and language, because branding in the financial advisory space is is changing um, but it's actually still an area where you can hugely differentiate Mm. um, if you use different colors if you use different pictures if you move away from perhaps um, buildings um, and uh, as your as your sort of narrative but but that leads slightly into where do you have those conversations as well an environment is hugely empowering for different people and so we very much find um, our conversations are around the kitchen table because there's a comfort there and again that confidence that vulnerability that is enabled by having a conversation in your own home about how you feel about something and that it enables both parties to talk more freely um, one of the Money is a hugely emotive topic. It's also a huge taboo still in this society. And by virtue of that, um, if you think back, it, it comes from our relationships with money as we were growing up. And that conversation can be hugely emotive, hugely, um, you, you have to be hugely empathetic. Um, you have to listen, but it's very difficult to have that in an office setting. Mm. And so if you move the conversation away from perhaps the office mm-hmm. to more that kitchen table, you get more transparency, um, you get all parties to the table mm-hmm. and you do change that the thinking on, on, on actually, you know, brands mm-hmm. as well uh, and, and the right language can be used um, to make everyone feel comfortable and therefore divulge how they're feeling ultimately which is not necessarily something that everyone is comfortable doing in the wrong setting yeah i think i and um also the trend is showing that females are having more um over time of the financial power in society right whether that be within um a marital relationship or indeed women in general um and so i think that because of that um that the financial advice industry will have to um, catch up in terms of how do you actually help women take more risk um, and become more confident and become more financially literate with their own investment and their pensions because um, that's where the money's going, right? And so the industry will obviously respond to that demand. And so this, it will happen and there'll be people that will get there quicker and there'll be people that get there slower and so people that can, you know, profit from that, quite frankly, because we're all running businesses as well. And where does that onus have to be in terms of educating women to be more financial literate? Is that onus on the advisor or is it on the product providers? Is it on the regulators? Where does that onus go or should it be spread out across everyone like we spoke about earlier? Is it something that it's going to take a group effort or who who should really be sort of driving that engagement and, and sort of education? Because I think education is so important, especially financial education. Mm-hmm. I think there's a responsibility on everybody. I think that um, y- you have to be 
open to it to receive the education. You also have to have a, a want to to learn, and that comes from being an advisor. You have to want to grow. You can't grow your own business and, unless you want to learn about how the, how other people have been doing it, how other people feel about things. There has to be a want from product because product can be hugely acronym led it can be hugely um left brain thinking um and actually that can be softened um not softened as in from a a a, a needing to be understood sort of basic level it's more a emotion behind what are you doing with those products i mean by softening and i think that's really important is that it's a an it can be outcome based um and and goals based Mm. um but it needs to be purpose driven Mm. and to be able to understand all three of those things you have to open up the conversation more to be able to do it and that has to be across the board so actually, Catherine, I think it's um, from something you said earlier, which is that it, it, your experience of um, finance starts in the when you're a child, right? So it starts in your home. And I think it's a responsibility of parents to educate their children um, on financial literacy um, and teach them the value of money. Um, and then it's... Um, in schools and in universities, and then you know, out in when you when you when you start work, I actually think it's the employer's responsibility as well. And I'm massively welcoming of auto enrolment, um, and then it and it can it, and then of course when you are wealthy enough and you can access financial advice, then it's your financial advisor um, and governments. Uh, um, and I think it is absolutely a role for all of us to play. But I think it's a cultural thing. I do think it's a cultural thing, and I meet people from other parts of the world where they have a very different relationship with money. Mm. Um, and yeah, so I think um, it's a huge, huge issue, but it, it is it is changing. Um, I've got two kids and I didn't have any kind of financial education when I was growing up in my home. Um, so I am like way on the other end of the spectrum with my children. You know, they don't get a penny out of me unless they do a job for it. <laughs> uh, but I think it's important as parents that we teach our children. Yeah, I I, get, I think there's a role for technology as well. Yasmina, I think, you know, uh, it's so much more accessible to understand and to learn about um, finances in any way, shape or form these days. That You're right, going back to schools, we do a lot going into schools and talking to um children about finances from the very basics of the cost of a loaf of bread through to when you're at university how you're going to buy those books through to inflation and compounding which um, boggles most people's minds Um, and um, there is a lot of support that technology can provide now in making it more interesting making it more fun making it accessible and I'm certain that you've been doing that with yeah and it's really so when you talk about like the instantaneous access of information now in this world that we live in um and technology has a huge part to play in education in financial services um and there's a massive debate going on at the moment about you know young people getting into investing online and they're listening to the tiktok guys and all this good jazz and and how dangerous that is um but at the same time it's getting them interested in investing and it's breaking down the taboo so you can't have it one way and not have it the other right and so it's about how do we navigate that and then of course um you know, so Dynamic Planner, we we work with financial advisors. So all of our the C bit of our B two B two C is white labelled to financial advisors, and so we provide all sorts of ed- 
educational content um, digitally and in reports that advisors can share with their clients to help with that education. Because ultimately, I think for the 3.2 million people that do access financial advice in the UK, the one person they will go to that they trust Mm -hmm. when they actually have really important questions um, is their financial advisor. And ultimately, that is... Um, right at the top of of how they should be consuming their uh, financial education. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you'd expect that answer to be their family. Mm. And actually that conversation about money within a family is still very uncomfortable. Um, I'd be interested to know what the stats, I don't know if you know it, but the number of people that tell their parents what they earn today in this country, because I suspect it's still quite low. I bet it is. I bet it is because parents often rely on the children to support them, right? So... Absolutely. But that responsibility that is being laid both on parents to educate children and then children as they grow up to want to talk about this more but actually unable to Mm. is also a very difficult dynamic to understand but also needs unpicking in society today. And I think that's why social media can be a great tool because, you know, both my parents are immigrants. Finance wasn't really something we talked about in in the house, really. It wasn't until I entered this industry that I started understanding, you know, the importance of, of talking about those things. And we definitely talk about it a lot more now in my household. And especially, you know, so many younger people may not have the assets to be able to access financial advice. And so... Like you say, going back to us talking about it, the onus is on everyone. It's creating those um, resources, those toolkits. You know, Martin Lewis with his Money Saving Expert website is a prime example to me of something that can really help people getting engaged with with their finances and, and even investing. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely going to take a group effort to get there. But yeah, I think definitely starting as early as possible at school is 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 going to be key because that just automatically gets it into the subconscious minds of children and then that may make them feel more comfortable to maybe bring it up at home with their families and hopefully that will have um, a positive effect. But sort of looking now into the future and this is sort of my question to both of you is sort of what would be your one big hope for this industry when it comes to inclusivity for women, whether that be on the employee side or the client side, you know, going back to International Women's Day, it's all about um, inspiring inclusion. So what would be your one big hope when you see this industry in the next 10 or 20 or however many years? I'll start with you, Yasmina. Okay, so mine, um, mine's really clear. So there are about 10 million people, according to the FCA, in the UK that need and want financial advice, but um, they can't have access to it because the delivery of financial advice today is very expensive. Um, And my hope um, is that um, the industry will develop using technology to be able to um, finally equip financial advisors with the um, the ability to serve at lower cost, which means they'll be able to take on these 10 million people that need and want financial advice that have much lower sums to invest. Um, and then um, everybody in the UK will be able to save and invest um, and have happy retirements. Um, and half of those 10 million people are female. So that is my um, my hope and I think it will happen. I find this slightly more difficult to answer and because my mind is going from the technology piece to actually responsibility I there is a huge responsibility that comes around money no matter how much you've got and I think that responsibility the you can ease the burden of it by understanding and by really 
understanding what you value about money. And so I think my want would be that people could talk more freely and and families can talk more freely about what the purpose of their wealth is and what they want it to do, whether it's pocket money for your child and it's them working for it, as you said, Yasmina, or they get a pound and 10 piece for charity or, or charitable work, 10 piece for... Um, Know, doing something sustainable and then the other 80 P's for spending. <laughs> Got to give them something to buy. Um, or whether it's your entrepreneur who receives a large sum of money, gets it into the bank account and thinks, I've been working so hard for this, but I don't know what to do with it. I think in both parts that everyone needs to be armed with the confidence of dealing with it. And I think that needs to be opened up more to women. Great. Well, thank you so much both for joining me today. Um, I feel like we've had some really insightful conversations and yeah, I think it definitely is down to open communication, more accessibility and just, yeah, really, really having a look at that language and really seeing how the language that we all use, how it affects clients, whether they be male or female, because, again, it can affect everyone. Um, and I think that is really, really important. But, yeah, thank you both very much for joining me. Thank Thanks, you. Lena. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.